everybody, and welcome to the Aggieville Alley Cats podcast. We're come rain, shine, or anything in between. We're here to deliver to you the Kansas State sporting news that you so love. I'm Ace Edwards, right alongside Connor Baltazor. And ladies and gentlemen, it is Horns Down Week. That is the week and the football matchup up against my personal least favorite Big 12 school, that mascot is the Jayhawk. And that is the Texas Longhorns. And, you know, it's it's a game that means a lot, not only for us as fans, not only for the team in terms of Big 12 standings, but it, there's a there's a desire to get a little bit of payback for how the game went last year. But before we go into that, we have to talk about their 2021 season. And Connor will go ahead and start you off with the offensive side of the ball. Yep. So last year as a team, they did go five and seven overall and then three and six in conference play. So they did miss a bowl game. Uh, They had 2,392 rush yards as a team, uh, 5.2 yards per attempt and 25 rushing touchdowns, 2,705 passing yards or 7.82 yards per attempt, 62.7 yards uh, or 62.7 completion percentage, 29 touchdowns, 10 interceptions. They had a third down percentage of 43.75% offensively as good for 31st in the country. And then red zone scoring, they were scoring 93.6% of the time and getting touchdown 74.5% of the time. That's good for fourth in the country. They allowed 26 sacks, averaged 35.25 points per game, and they had a total 423 points throughout the season. Uh, something that'll jump out is those Yardage numbers for pass and rush are very balanced. They had a ton of rushing touchdowns, paging Bijan Robinson, mm-hmm. and uh, also the, their other running backs are really good too, like Roshan Johnson. But yeah, the, this has been the Texas mantra of the last few years, uh, especially since about the time that the Tom Herman era started. Uh, is they have a very difficult offense to stop because there's just athletes everywhere and they spread you out and make you make plays. Yeah. And like you said, the the number one thing there is balance, even when it comes to yards, you know, yards, touchdowns, everything was pretty balanced between the rushing and passing games on defense is where they struggled just a tiny lot bit more. They were giving up 31.08 points per game, a total of 373, giving up 2,688 passing yards, 16 passing touchdowns, and then 2,431 rushing yards with 26 rushing touchdowns, a third down percentage of 42.35, which is shockingly similar to or shockingly close to their offensive third down percentage. And then in the red zone, they were giving up scores 86.3% of the time, but touchdowns 56.9. It was good for 91st in the country. They had seven picks last year, 11 fumbles forced, 20 sacks with a turnover differential of minus three. So, Connor, you and I get to bring back one of our favorite phrases from last year, and that is their run defense is very, very porous. porous. It's very porous run defense yeah. last year. We have not really used that much this year. Oh, we haven't. Seems like. But yeah, their their defense was not very good last year. And you could say, oh, it was a bend, don't break defense. Technically, you're right whenever you look at their red zone touchdown numbers. But at the exact same time, the bend, don't break defense requires you at some point to get a standard stop and not allow any points. They were not particularly great at that, given the amount of yards that they gave up. Sitting in like a cover four zone. but. 
They're bringing a number of pieces back from the previous year. And once again, Connor has you for those. So obviously the biggest returner that you have uh, is Bijan Robinson, probably the best running back in the country and sacrilege, uh, probably best in the big 12 to at least like the most NFL ready, which stinks to say, but Bijan Robinson really is that good. Um, Xavier Worthy's back as well. Leading receiver, again, top guy in the Big 12. Really, really great athlete. It was just a true freshman last year, as I recall. And he is just, he's really, he's that good. Uh, Jordan Whittington, uh, wide receiver. He's wide receiver too. He's back again. Uh, DeMarvion Overshone, uh, back at linebacker for the like 18th season. He is like the defensive Skylar Thompson of the Big 12. Yeah. He just refuses to go away. Um, then... At tight end, they bring in Jaleel Billingsley, who transferred from Alabama. Isaiah Nair uh, transferred in from Wyoming. And then Quinn Ewers at quarterback, they brought in. He was originally a perfect rated recruit, a perfect 1.0 on 24-7, number one consensus guy in the country. Went to Ohio State and then left after a semester and has been the starting QB for most of the season at Texas. Missed a few games due to injury, Um, but he is a highly, highly touted uh, quarterback with a lot of talent that they brought in. He stepped into the starting role immediately. Yeah, which uh, depending on who you ask, that may or may not have been in Steve Sarkeesian's original plans. (laughs) (laughs) But, you know, that's neither here nor there. But in terms of what they're losing from 2021, they're losing their leading passer, Casey Thompson. He ended up transferring to Nebraska. So uh, maybe a... Maybe a bit of a lateral move there. <laughs> At best. They're, they lost their wide receiver three, Joshua Moore. He ended up transferring to SMU. They lost their tight end one from last year, Cade Brewer. He was an undrafted free agent to the Seahawks. They lost Dicker the kicker, Cameron Dicker, to the Rams. They lost their sack leader, Ben Davis. He only had two and a half sacks. That's weird. <laughs> Presented without comment. <laughs> lost him to graduation. Then they lost their interception leading defensive back, B.J. Foster. He ended up graduating. So now that we're done looking back at last year, let's take a look at their 2022 schedule. They're a 5-3 team this year. Their first game was up against UL Monroe, which naturally they blew out 52-10. Then their second game of the year was versus Alabama in a game where absolutely everyone in the country, I'm pretty sure even Texas fans, were expecting to get absolutely smoked. They only got beat by one point. Then they ended up playing UTSA, which was one and one at the time. They ended up winning 41 to 20. They ended up playing at Texas Tech. They Texas Tech was two and one at the time. This was a double overtime loss that ended up 37-34 in favor of Texas Tech. Excuse me. Then they ended up playing West Virginia, beating them, Oklahoma, blowing them out 49 to 0. Iowa State, they should have lost this game, but preferential treatment to Texas. I Listen, I don't, I'm not an Iowa State fan. I normally don't enjoy saying like, oh, it was the referee. No, no. no. <laughs> it, it was, it was kind of clear that the referees missed a few calls and then proceeded to, you know, make a few stranger calls. But that was a loss for Iowa State, win for Texas, 24-21. And then their last game was up against Oklahoma State, which was a loss in uh, Stillwater, 41-34. to That gives them their 5-3 and three record. And it's worth noting that their three losses on the year at the time were teams that were 
at or above 500. And I'm pretty sure now are at or above 500 because they beat they beat UTSA, who's not great this year. They beat UL Monroe, who's not great this year. They beat Oklahoma, who just now kind of got on track. And they beat Iowa State, who has Hunter Deckers at quarterback. Hunter Deckers will not stop catching strays on this show. But, <laughs> yeah, it's it's worth noting they, they haven't really won a marquee game yet. Yeah, and that that's a fair thing to say, I think. Obviously, the Alabama game was pretty shocking. I don't know how much of that can be attributed to Steve Sarkeesian spending uh, like two or three seasons on the Alabama staff and kind of having an inside yeah. uh, there. Uh, and then probably part of it is just Alabama has kind of looked a little rusty at times this year. Yeah. Tech, that one is honestly inexplicable. I watched highlights from that game, and I was kind of surprised Texas Tech ended up winning this game. Texas yeah. really ended up blowing it down the stretch. Uh, Oklahoma State, uh, they just played a really gritty second half and their defense locked down and they ended up coming back to win that. So yeah, all their losses have been to at least 500 teams, but none of their wins have been overly impressive. So it's kind of, they're kind of a weird team where somehow we're in the month of November and we still don't know exactly what they are. Like they can finish nine and three. They might not win another game. <laughs> it's kind of like how Okie state was last year to where like, except for, you know, their non-conference games, they almost lost to Missouri State, and then they found themselves in the Big 12 championship. I don't think Texas is that. I don't think they're that. But maybe maybe when you illuminate the 2022 stats, that'll we can kind of dissect from there. Yeah, so 2022, uh, so far they are 5-3, and three, conference record of 3-2. and two. So they're kind of on the outside looking in. For the uh, Arlington race, they're in a three-way tie for third at the moment. Uh, Rush yards, they have 1,463 on the season for 5.1 yards per attempt. 2,095 passing yards, 8.4 yards per attempt. 18 passing touchdowns to six interceptions and then 15 rushing touchdowns. Uh, Third down percentage is 39.99. That's good for 69th in FBS. Uh, That defensive third down percentage, uh, 41.48 that's 90th in the FBS so not really great there so maybe the K-State offense can finally get it going on third down because even last week they weren't that good on third down uh, points per game 36.38 right now for 291 points for them and 169 points against them they have a turnover differential plus one uh, 17 sacks on the year uh, and then their red zone scoring percentage um, defense they are allowing a score just 77.7% of the time and a touchdown 55.5% of the time. It's tied for 30th in the FBS. And then offensive, they're scoring 88.6% of the time and getting touchdowns 62.9% of the time. That's good for 31st in FBS. Um, again, another pretty balanced attack here from Texas uh, and touchdowns. Yardage is fairly similar. Uh, or at least proportionally. Um, and then their uh, uh, scoring rates uh, for preventing scores in the red zone on defense, and then getting scores on offense are pretty similar to um, at least in terms of placement. But yeah, we're, we're looking at another very athletic Texas tech team that gets a lot of yards, but can sputter. So uh, it's, this is very similar to a lot of Texas tech teams that we have seen, except Texas. the difference 
Yeah, they're Texas. <laughs> what did I say? Texas Tech. You said it twice. Oh, sorry. It's this okay. is very, very similar to a lot of Texas teams that uh, we've seen, except the quarterback talent is significantly higher than it has been probably. Yeah. Yeah, I, I think that's fair. And, you know, this this team is I – I understand this team more than I understood Oklahoma State last year. Because if you go back to that episode, which, you know, I, I guess if you want to listen to an episode from like a year, <laughs> a month ago, that that's your prerogative. But knowing me that like there's going to be one person like I'm going to see like who listened to this one episode. But, you know, I, I, I we didn't know what to think of them last year. And Texas is kind of the same way in that they're enigmatic, but. I think we have a bit more of a grasp on them than we had Oklahoma state last year. They're not as good as them basically, but (laughs) we can say that much for sure. Yeah. But now we can go into the general takeaways, starting off with the offensive side of the ball. And as with any team led by Steve Sarkeesian, he was the offensive coordinator, Alabama, and he's been known as an offensive mind ever since he started his head coaching career, I believe in 2009 at Washington. His head coaching career, offensive career is much longer than that. But their their offense is very creative and very vertically minded. And there was a part of me that was like, oh well, I'd so I, I'm sure excited to like chart some of their uh, some of their passing concepts. And then they ran like seven passing concepts that were all different from one another. And I'm like, well, that was a fun fever dream while it lasted. I'm not going to do that because anything that I say is going to get run like twice in a game. (laughs) (laughs) But yeah, in terms of personnel, they run a lot of different personnel sets and they're very creative with it. They run some two back 21 personnel with Roshan Johnson and B. John Robinson. They run some 12 personnel with Jaleel Billingsley and Jatavion Sanders. If I had to say, if I had to say they had a preference, it'd probably be 12 personnel. It'd be that or 11 personnel. And then, of course, some good old fashioned Big 12 11 personnel. And even have an occasion had an extra, extra lineman. And most of the time it's number 92, which I'm pretty sure is a defensive tackle, but. Oh. Okay. Right. Can't stop them, but <laughs> yeah, I can't. sure. Uh, you, and, you may do that if you please. Yeah. In terms of play calling, their run pass split is 47.7 for the pass, 52.3 for the running game. Uh, that seems to have been probably a little bit skewed recently. But in terms of the play calling in the running game, it's a whole lot of counter. If you see them in pistol, odds are they're probably running counter. And they run a lot of outside zone and outside sweeps. The former mostly from pistol and the latter from shotgun. And because it's a college offense in the year of our Lord 2022, they have a lot of RPO action in their game as well, mostly based off of slot slants and things of like that. But they those are just their favorites. They can run, and they certainly do run, a lot more than just those, but those are the ones that really stuck out as both their most dangerous concepts and the ones they run most often. Connor, you have them for, actually, would you rather take these, the passing concepts in motion, or would you rather take Quinn Ewers as a quarterback? Um, I'll take Quinn Ewers. All right. So what they do in the passing game, they're running play action, 43.2% of their dropbacks, which is a big reason why they want to keep that that run pass balance close and also slightly leaning towards the running game. Because if you aren't, 
you know, if they don't, if you don't trust the play action game as a defense, if you're not biting on it, a lot of their deep offense doesn't necessarily just stop working, but it comes a lot harder to execute, which is something you need. You need that ease of execution whenever you have a young quarterback, which is something that um, earlier K-State teams with a, an unnamed quarterback failed to do. Yeah. <laughs> They also run screens on 19.4% of their dropbacks, and motion is a big part of their game plan, and they motion a lot of players to different places. They You have re- receivers motioning into the backfield. They're doing orbit motions. You have running backs motioning out wide. You have tight ends flipping sides. You have tight ends playing the wide slot receiver role. You name it, they probably have motion for it. So offensively, this team is very creative in the way they set up their plays. Not a lot of their play calls themselves are, you know, revolutionary, like never before seen concepts. They're just applied from looks that you don't normally see them from. And they get you in a lot of elaborate personnel groupings that they can do a lot of things out of and looks that, you know, immediately result in, in coverage tells because 98% of the time, if you have say Roshan Johnson, one of their running backs out wide, that almost immediately tips the defense's hands as to what coverage they're running. Because if a linebacker follows him out, it's probably man coverage. If a corner just widens out or a corner safety follows him, it's probably zone coverage. And they just do a lot of that to make the picture simpler. That's why Mac Jones was so successful in an offense run. But wait, no, 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 wait. I was 19, right? Or was that 20? Mac Jones was 2020, as I recall. Okay. So I, I may be getting my my years mixed up. But Sark's offenses have always notoriously... No, because they fired Herman 20. Didn't they? Texas? Yes. After, after 2020, they fired him. Okay, yeah. So I, I was right. That, that was a big part of, of Mac Jones' success, was that he just got, you know say, hey, here's a pretty simple puzzle, figure it out, find your best matchup. That's what he's asking Quinn Ewers to do. I've talked a lot, and now we have a lot to talk about their quarterback, Quinn Ewers. Yeah, so Quinn Ewers, we did talk about him a little bit earlier. Um, Yeah, he was the QB recruit of the century until Arch Manning existed, although (laughs) everybody kind of hates Arch Manning right now. Uh, But Quinn Ewers, he was a perfect five-star, uh, very, very, very few of those uh, throughout all time. I think Vince Young might have been one. Vince Young uh, is one, yeah. And I think there's been maybe a handful of others, but I'm not going to get into the, those weeds. Uh, he went to, uh, When he went to Ohio State out of high school, uh, got a big NIL deal, and uh, then promptly left and is now at Texas, and he's been starting. Um, so... Quinn Ewers, 1,139 yards, 57.7 completion percentage, 11 touchdowns, five picks. A lot of that bad completion percentage probably comes from the Oklahoma State game where there was like 30 mile per hour wins and he was like throwing into the wind and throwing with the wind and just every throw he had was just bad. Honestly, he caught like less than 40% completion in that game. Um, However, he does love throwing over the middle. 60.2% of his passes are over the middle in some fashion. He's only completing 33.3% of his deep balls. Uh, PFF has him as a 70.7, a 70.5 in the passing game, a 53.7 in the run game. However, when he's under pressure, his PFF grade goes down significantly. 
41.9 PFF grade and a 35.2 passing grade under pressure. So really, really bad. Uh, but with that being said, if he's kept clean, uh, his arm talent and arm strength are uh, outstanding and they're elite. Um, he doesn't really need a great platform to throw from. He can throw it from any angle. It really does not matter. He will find a way to get the ball out with great velocity and put it at least in the right vicinity. Most of the time, uh, he has, he has a golden arm and, uh, he has a really quick release. Uh, it's kind of like a flick motion. Uh, with that being said though, he is still a freshman. Um, and he has accuracy issues, especially under pressure. Uh, he needs, um, but even still, when he's unpressured, he does overthrow quite a bit. Uh, and he does get passes on target uh, a lot, but they aren't pinpoint. Um, he gets, the, like, like like I said, they, they get to generally where they need to be, um, but they they aren't perfect. They're, they're not pinpoint. He has a great deal of arm talent that with refinement, uh, he could be unbelievably dangerous, but he has a lot of work to do in the accuracy department before he gets to that point. Um, mobility wise, he isn't really a major threat. It's not as if he's a Carson strong and quite literally cannot move because yeah. if he does, his leg might fall off, but it's just, he, he's just not really that fast. Um, you think a guy with a perfect recruiting rating might have more mobility, but I mean, it is what it is. He has unbelievable arm talent regardless. And you can be a good quarterback and not be particularly mobile. So uh, this is what it is there. But processing, uh, again, he's a young quarterback. The accuracy is not quite there and the processor isn't quite there either. That's something that unless you are literally Trevor Lawrence, it will come with time. And yeah. you pretty much have to be a unicorn to get all of that immediately. Um, but he is still very hyper aggressive on uh, the football field in terms of trying to get the ball where it needs to go. He is very, very, very confident in his ability to get the ball in to tight windows. Uh, and he will test um, pretty much any coverage that you throw at him, any window that you throw at him. He wants to beat you. Uh, and more dangerously, he fully believes that he can. And there are many times that he can do that. But not all the tools are there yet for him to be able to do that on a consistent basis, but he is still a very dangerous quarterback in the pocket. So, yeah. yeah the, the thing is with, with Quinn Ewers is that he truly does have all the potential in the world because there's, there's not a single quarterback whose arm talent even remotely comes close to, to Quinn Ewers that we have faced in the climate era. And I would argue that there's maybe four or five people in my lifetime that I've seen with equal or better arm talent. Better, the only one I can definitively say is Josh Allen. And that man needed time in the NFL to develop. <laughs> so Jaron Lewis is another, right? Yeah, sure. <laughs> he needs time. He needs he time. Needs He's got time. the arm talent. Mm -hmm. But yeah, Quinn, he's, he's just a young quarterback and Accuracy really is his biggest problem, though. Like processing, you know, his hyperaggression works because his receivers will win. <laughs> because, you know, they're Texas receivers, so of course they'll win. But he just, he isn't hitting those, those big-time throws as often as you would like. But 
it doesn't all fall on Quinn Ewers, even though he'll get most of the credit or most of the blame because that's just what the quarterback does. They have two really exceptional running backs as well, including number five, B. John Robinson, and number two, Roshan Johnson. Let's start off with B. John Robinson. He has 920 yards on the year, 5.7 per rush, 11 touchdowns on the ground, 17 catches for 280 yards and two touchdowns to the air, a 91.8 PFF grade, 78.4 passing grade, and a 92.0 running grade. Yeah, so let's not beat around the bush. He's the consensus running back one in this upcoming draft free reason. It is a legitimately good reason where whenever you have a running back in college that's getting genuine first round hype, like, and people are saying, like, even draft analysts and people who say the running back position doesn't matter anymore, whenever you get those same people saying, yeah, he's a first round talent. Yeah, he's like the number five prospect in the country in the draft. Yeah, there's a good reason for it. <laughs> um, he's near perfect size for a true bell cow back. He has really good power and contact balance. He's really shifty considering his size, and he's even shifty for lighter and shorter backs. He could be like, he his shiftiness could belong to like a 5'10", like 195 back, and it would still be impressive. He is not that size. He is significantly bigger. He has remarkable bar carrier vision to where he can just, you know, find a hole anywhere on the line. He can bounce it outside. He has the speed. He has receiving upside. And he's a complete back. He's probably the best running back in the country. He's also probably the corniest running back in the country. In fact, no, he is most certainly the corniest running back in the country because no other running back in the country that I have heard of walked around for a week with a football in his arms telling the student body to try and strip it from him because he fumbled once. You may say that that is commitment to his craft. I say that there is places in Nebraska that are less corny than that. Iowa, perhaps? Perhaps Iowa. Who knows? Iowa, Iowa's very corny. So, I don't know. Does he surpass Iowa in corniness? Yes. That He's reaching Russell Wilson levels. He's not there yet, but he's reaching insulting. it. You're just, you're just insulting him now. There's no, there's no need for that on the on the scouting report. Let's yeah, keep I, it professional here. <laughs> oh yeah, we talked. Yeah, the, never mind. But <laughs> yeah, Bijan Robinson's the best running back in the country. I'm sorry, Deuce. Like you're the best offensive weapon in the country. Deuce Vaughn is. But if I'm asking for a pure running back, a pure traditional running back, I'm I'm sorry. I'm taking Bijan. But. Wait, there's more. They have Roshan Johnson, who has 367 yards, six per rush, two touchdowns, 14 catches, 128 yards, and one touchdown through the air. 81.3 PFF grade, 61.2 in the passing game, 88.2 in the running game. Yeah, he's um, yeah, he's a monster in his own right. He's just unfortunately behind Bijan Robinson. And I truly believe that he starts on every other Big 12 team except for K-State and maybe KU, because they have Devin Neal. But even then, I think Roshan Johnson could probably beat out Devin Neal if it was a one-to-one competition. With all due respect to Devin Neal, Roshan Johnson definitely clears. Yeah. Like, like I, I, I would take Roshan over every running back in the conference except for Bijan. And except for Deuce. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> like, it... Like, it it's an embarrassment of riches. 
He has amazing speed and lateral agility. His game. That's that's his game, and he has some pretty good ball carrier vision. But like the only thing that you could really say about him is that he stops his momentum a bit too often, and he can lose his yards due to that when he's looking for a hole. He's not someone who's like always going to put his shoulder down and just get like the gritty yards. But like when you're as talented as he is, it almost doesn't matter. <laughs> it almost doesn't matter. It's ridiculous that Texas gets these two running backs. And then it only gets worse when you look at their receiving room. Yeah. Uh, so I'll go ahead and start here with Xavier Worthy. Uh, former five-star receiver. He's a sophomore now. Uh, and he's really, 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 really good. Uh, 36 catches, 510 yards, seven touchdowns. Uh, 73.3 PFF grade, 73.6 pass grade, uh, 5.4% drop rate. He is not the best receiver in the Big 12 because Quentin Johnston does exist. Um, he is at least an argument for second. There's other guys. There, there's probably a pretty solid group of guys in the top five, like Quentin Johnson, Xavier Worthy, Xavier Hutchinson, uh, Marvin Mims, Bryce Ford Wheaton. I think that's probably your top five right there. Uh, Xavier Worthy, I would say, is at least top three. And I I think there's an argument between him and a few other guys. But he's really good is the point I'm trying to make. Uh, He's probably the best route runner in the Big 12. He is very good at setting up and then baiting defensive backs uh, to bite wherever he wants them to. Um, He has a really solid understanding of the fact that he needs to get rid of the space in between him and a defensive back. and he has very good hands, uh, not the most incredible hands, but they are good. Um, he does occasionally have just a not great drop, but that that is what it is. It happens. Um, yeah, he has legit deep speed and acceleration, and is really just an all-around excellent receiver. Last year against K-State, I think he had like six hatches for like 70 yards or something like that, which honestly, that was... The game. Yeah, he got hurt like partway through, which like, you know sucks for him but uh yeah he he is just he's a very good receiver he's very dangerous just yet another offensive weapon for this team uh gonna be probably the most difficult task for uh the this texas offense and their weapons might be the most difficult task for the defense all season um and that's with having to face a team like tcu and offense like oklahoma state and whatnot but um, moving on to Jordan Whittington, number four, uh, 29 catches, 404 yards and a touchdown on the year, 70.4 on PFF, 70.3 in the past game, a 3.3% drop rate, uh, is one of his biggest issues is that he does body catch, uh, a little bit too much and really isn't getting his, his arms out as far as he needs to. It doesn't really matter for him, but he should probably not be doing that if he wants to get to the next level. Um, he was originally a running back uh, and some of those uh, some of the kind of the lack of natural receiver instincts like extending his arms uh, to go out and get the catch rather than body catching. It's obvious when you figure out how he's a converted running back. Oh, well, that makes sense. Um, uh, and then again, his biggest trait is his run after catch ability. So they love using him on screens um, and he has a lot of strength for a, uh, a, a receiver. Yeah, I, I, I don't I don't blame him for running away from that running back room. 
yeah that's that, that really is fair honestly <laughs> <laughs> I, I i wouldn't want to deal with that either um but and then lastly uh for the receivers you have um casey kane number 88 uh he only has four catches for 93 yards on the year 54.1 bff grade and a 52 on the passing game very fast uh and uh uh, he doesn't just he just doesn't get a lot of targets though because when you have guys like Bijan Robinson, like Roshan Johnson, like Xavier Worthy, Jordan Winnington, even a guy like Keelan Robinson, there's a lot of mouths to feed on this offense. And Casey Kane is just kind of the odd man out right now. Uh, only a freshman, so you know he'll probably be fine with that for now. Uh, but has not had more than one catch in a game this year. Hasn't had a catch since the Texas Tech game. Um, but yeah, he, uh, it is definitely just, he's on the field, he's there, but he's just not their main guy. They don't look his way as often as they are for like a lot of other guys. Uh, yeah. not a ton to say about Casey Kane other than he, he really do be existing. He, yeah, which is, it's strange because he, I think he, like per PFF, he has the third most snaps logged of any true receiver. That... Um, is interesting actually. That's kind of weird. Uh, one other guy, I guess, in the receiver room is Tariq Milton. He was at Iowa State. I did not know he was at Texas now. <laughs> I literally just discovered that he has two catches for 40 yards on the year after having 99 catches for 1500 yards in four years at Iowa State. And so he ends up at Texas and isn't really doing anything. Kind of weird, but okay. Surprise, surprise. He got buried on a Texas depth chart. <laughs> it, you know, it really could happen to anybody. Yeah, it could have. But now we can talk about their tight ends room, which is this is the most that we've had to talk like to say about a, a tight ends. Well, actually, firstly, on, on receivers, uh, just a short note is Jordan Win- Winnington is mostly the RPO guy. He's really good on slants. Like, he's really good on things that don't require the most finesse. And, you know, again, he was a converted running back. So that makes sense. But back to tight ends, they really have two that they use primarily. That's number zero, Jatavian Sanders, and number nine, Julio Billingsley. Starting off with Jatavian Sanders, he has 34 catches on the year, 396 yards and five touchdowns, a 71.4 PFF grade, 80.4 in the pass, and a 52.9 in run block. He has a 5.6 drop rate. And he's just, you remember Cole Turner from Nevada last year, the guy who was you know, listed as a tight end, but was basically just a, a receiver. Yeah, that's Jatavian Sanders, except for Jatavian Sanders is a little bit better as a blocker and can play a little bit of wing tight end. Yeah, he's just a really big bodied receiver, able to box out the smaller DBs, able to shake out most linebackers and coverage. It just has, it just has the skill set of a giant receiver. His really good hands can hold on through contact. He even runs routes in a way you don't expect from a tight end. Is he the best tight end that we've ever seen in the in the climate era? The answer is no, <laughs> because Charlie Collar exists. <laughs> like Charlie, I don't think that we will ever see a tight end against K State that is as ridiculous as Charlie Collar is, and I think that it is unfair that the Ravens got both hit have both him. Mark Andrews and Isaiah likely on their roster. They don't need them. They don't need three. They don't need them. They they're hoarding them. It really is unfair. It's like me and fantasy quarterbacks. Yeah. yeah. 
Yeah, you got me part with two firsts for Daniel Jones. I don't know how you manage that to this day. But <laughs> <laughs> but the thing is with Jatavian Sanders is just like a big receiver, his blocking ability is not the greatest. Like as a true inline blocker, his skills aren't non-existent, but they're not great either. But he's just a monster athlete that they play at tight end and expect to get coverage mismatches. Because guess what? When you have a Jatavian Sanders, you're going to get coverage mismatches because he probably runs like a 4-6 from the tight end position, which is insane. Yet again, not fair. <laughs> yeah. It, and then you have Jaleel Billingsley. He's the Alabama transfer. There's not a lot to say about him because he opened the year suspended, but he has a 72.5 PFF grade, 88.7 receiving grade. And, He's he might be a better athlete than Jatavian Sanders is. And that's saying a lot, because whenever he was playing in Alabama, he was arguably like the best player on the field. And it was stupid. And now he's at Texas. Yeah. And he's only got two catches for 33 yards so far this year. But yeah, again, a lot of that just because he was suspended. And again, he's his measurements, at least indicate he's another glorified uh, receiver at tight end where he's six he's six foot four two nineteen like he's like Chabaston Taylor sized <laughs> like he's he's just another like tight end in name only but you know he's strong enough to where he can make it work as a blocker so if I had to pick one you know a lot of rooms on this offense scare the daylights out of me their receiving room scares me only because of Xavier Worthy they're <laughs> Their running back room terrifies me because they have two of the best running backs in the conference. And then they just casually have, you know, the two best tight ends in the conference. I will hear no arguments saying that there is a better, like, one-two punch at tight end. And I don't think that there is, like, you, maybe you could say, I don't know, I'm not sure who you could even say is a better tight end like, in the Big 12 other than Jatavian Sanders. No one's springing to mind. Uh, at least statistically in volume of production, I, I don't think that there's a a uh, a good option like beyond Stavian Sanders. Yeah. So their tight ends are a collection of freak athletes. So whoever's covering them, be it a safety or a linebacker, needs to really, really be on their game. But now we can talk about my favorite room, which is the offensive line. Connor, you have the left side and the center, and I'll take the right side. Yeah. So first of all, offensive line, they're giving up 20, they're giving a pressure on 26.8% of their snaps. Uh only nine sacks surrendered. Uh Kelvin Banks, number 78 at left tackle. A 65.9 PFF grade, 76.6 pass block grade, and a 58.6 in the run block. Um, he is good at keeping himself working and pass block reps. Uh, and once he gets his hands on you, he is very good at keeping you in front of him. Uh, he has very good agility as well to mirror finesse rushers. Uh, he is very fluid, um, at the left tackle position. So the outside rush is not really something that is going to work on him. Uh, which again, he's, he's, he's only a freshman, he's six, five, three, 18 and moves so well, the interest embarrassment of riches in Austin, uh, his biggest flaw in pass protection, though, is that he seems to be leaning forward a little bit, uh, and he can lean sometimes a little bit too much on the person that he's blocking. 
Uh, so if you want to throw a push pull move at him, uh, he could be pretty susceptible to that in the pass block department. Um, but yeah, moving on to Hayden Connor at left guard, number 76. Uh, he's got a 49.7 uh, PFF grade, a 64.7 pass block grade, and a 46.3 in uh, the run block. Uh, he is very grabby. Every offensive line has a grabby lineman, uh, and but he does take it to the next level. He is simply built different in the grabby department. Uh, <laughs> he holds on for dear life. Um, he he's not really he's he's like a very like he's like a slightly below average athlete relative to offensive lineman. He's not like a net negative or anything, but he isn't really a great puller though. Um, and he's not really fast enough to be used on outside sweeps either, uh, which is weird because he more often than not pulls on pass block snaps. Um, and in terms of pass protection, he does not like a true power rusher uh, with him. The, the low man wins. But if you get at his shoulders, uh, his arms are very short and you can just kind of long arm him. Um, and then if you really get up in his face, uh, uh he, you can make him uncomfortable if you let him get set up. That is when he's going to really set up shot, shut up, set up shop, and make life more difficult for you. Um, and then another young lineman, he's 6'5, 318, ex- exact same measurements as uh Kelvin Banks Jr., which is uh really strange. Yeah, that is weird. I didn't catch that. Huh, interesting. Yeah. The more you know, um, <laughs> anywho, uh, then you have Jake Majors, the center, number 65. Uh, 63.2 PFF grade, 83.3 pass block grade, 59 run block grade. Um, in the zone game, he's got a bit of trouble uh, keeping up if you challenge him immediately. And that's really his big issue in the running game is that and consistency. Because uh, he has, he'll have some reps where he seals off really well, and then he'll have a few more where it looks like he's never done that in his entire life. Um and if he has to move laterally very far, it's kind of over for him. That's just not his game. Uh, and he's just not very good at it. But yeah, you on that left side and center of the line, you get three straight offensive linemen that are significantly better at pass blocking than they are run blocking, which should probably be how your line is set up. Honestly, you know, put the uh, better pass blockers on the blind side, but that's what it is. Yeah. And as always, whenever we don't mention something, this is for every player, we should probably open with <laughs> with this now. Every time we don't mention something, just kind of assume it's it's average. It's not exceptional. It's not awful. It's just average. So like I, I think that pretty much all of the like Kelvin Banks is an average run blocker. I don't agree with his PFF grade. I think it's too low. Uh, I think that a lot of that gets ripped down by his open field ability, which isn't great, which is weird considering his agility. Uh, Hayden Connor, I know his running blocking grade is about where it should be. <laughs> and then Jake Majors, I think his is actually too high. I think I'd probably put it at like, you know, low 50s. But pass block grade, I think that's also too high. It's just because, you know, he's a center. He gets a lot of help in the formations he's facing. But, you know, neither here nor there. In terms of the right side of the line, you have right guard Cole Hudson. And that is number 54. He has a 53 PFF grade, 52.1 pass block, 51.4 in the run blocking game. 
his biggest issue that that plagues him in the running game is that he just disengages way too quick. Uh, he in the zone running game specifically, your job is to hold on to that guy until if if the zone play is running your way, your job is to hold that guy, you, the guy in front of you, in place so that your center can eventually pick him up. He knocks you off, and you can move up to the linebackers. Uh, he just opts to not do the first part. <laughs> So he just kind of leaves his center or his tackle out to dry on those plays. And he's just not particularly great at driving either. And whenever he's pulling, he just takes angles that are uncomfortably close to banging into the backs of his linemen. And I know that as a lineman, you're supposed to take tight it, like the tightest angles that you possibly can when you're pulling. So that way you don't waste a lot of motion. But Whenever you are just about stepping on your lineman's feet, you are one bad play away from you're one bad moment away from causing a colossal, colossal problem. But in terms of pass blocking, he's fine. Like I again, this is a case where I think his pass block rate's probably a bit low. I'd probably put it, you know, high 50s, but you know, splitting hairs at that point. And then Christian Jones, the right tackle, number 70, has a 66.2 PFF grade, 69.1 pass block, uh, 63.7 run block. He also plays himself a little bit grabby. He's not as grabby as their left guard because, goodness gracious, that like, he he holds on like the life preserver, bro. He just – he his life depends on grabbing that jersey. <laughs> but he – his biggest problem is that he doesn't play like a left tackle, honestly, which means he's not as great in pass block. But he's still not bad at it. He just lets defenders outside of his frame a bit too easily. He doesn't have the athleticism to really keep up with that. And he's not great at the second level either. He just kind of works himself outside of his lane in the running game and ends up in the middle of nowhere. And he just, you know, needs to, as a player, needs to improve his angles to linebackers. Not this week, but just in general. You know, if, if he's bad at it this week, I'm 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 fine. I'm fine with that. Also, his like he's weird, like technically, because he he's weirdly passive in his stance and how he plays. And by that I mean whenever you're in a normal two-point stance, normally you have your outside foot pretty far back, but it, obviously you're not like doing the splits or anything, but you know, you're you're opening your body to the outside a little bit more so you can kick back further. So that way you don't have to waste as much motion. He keeps his feet more even, even in two-point stances, which is a strange, like, technical thing. And, you know, it that's probably why he gives up the outside. But, is you know, it does it's not killing him. It's just kind of weird. Uh, the lateral quickness is just okay. Probably a part due to starting position, how he, how he doesn't start as wide or as back as you'd want. But all in all, this is not a bad offensive line. As a unit, they play fine. I'd say they still have moments where, as like as a young offensive line, the cohesion isn't quite there. Specifically, I think the guards in the center don't. I I don't think they're communicating very well. Especially the right guard and the center. They they have no chemistry whatsoever. Like they have no idea what the other is going to do at any point in the game, and that that kind of shows in the running game. Unfortunately for everyone who faces them, they have a Bijan Robinson, so it almost doesn't matter. But <laughs> yeah, it, it's a solid offensive line. It's one of the ooh, is it one of the better ones we faced? 
I don't know, bro. I still really like the the two lane offensive line. They're a solid offensive line. That's we'll leave it at that. Now we can move on to the defensive side of the ball. Connor, you can cover the more general grand notes about them. Yeah. So defensively, uh, they play a four man surface from a three three five. That's what Baylor does. Oklahoma State does this too. Um, they can go to a true four two five look with four handed dirt players, but more often than not, it's a four man surface three three five. So kind of like that three three five Sam uh, to at least some degree. Um, every defense has like tiny little things, and then all of a sudden the whole name changes. But, yeah, I mean, some uh, some call the the three three five Sam a, like a three three five because in the in Baylor it's three three five tight. Uh, odd fronts are similar. The only difference is where the nose tackles lined up. It's it, it's a bunch of small differences yeah. that basically do the same thing. I'll be honest. The only reason I call it three three five Sam is because that's what they call it in NCAA fourteen. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's fair. That's fair. Yeah, so I'll, I'll take their word for it. But um, yeah, so they do have a few looks though where linebackers will play uh, in a mug alignment, which is uh, when they line up with the B gaps. Um, and they mostly play two high safety shells. So Ace is spared from the three high safety look, uh, at least for half of the game this week. Uh, Ace is very happy about that. I, um, I absolutely am. <laughs> uh, and then coverages, they very, very, very slightly lean towards man, but they're going to play man and zone with plenty of regularity uh, on either of them. Uh, so it, there's not a tendency either way, at least based on their previous film, on what particular way they're going to go. Yeah. So I'll cover their uh, interior defensive line, Connor, because they have a lot. I have a lot to say about the interior. You can cover both edge and linebackers when we get to it. But the the first, they have three really big names in the interior off the defensive line. That's Tavondre Sweat, number 93, DeAndre Coburn, number 99, and Moro Ajomo, number 98. They have a lot of rotation here. Like they don't, and everyone in this group can play just about anywhere. They can play nose tackle, they can play three tech, they can play five tech. Uh, they can play pretty much everywhere that they're asked to play on this, this defensive line. And it, it, there's more than just people that are here. <laughs> um, they have a couple of other defensive linemen, I think. Uh, one's number 95, but they, they rotate a lot. They want to keep their linemen fresh and it makes sense because, you know, they're all good, but let's start off with Tavondre sweat. Number 93 is 19 tackles on the year, two and a half TFLs, one pass defended in a 78.5 PFF grade 76.2 run defense, 56.5 tackling 75.2 pass rush. First thing that sticks out to me is his pad level because he it's teaching tape basically for, for how he plays in the pad level because he's not naturally, he doesn't have the the natural leverage advantage. He's short. He's not short. That's right. <laughs> when, yeah, whenever you hear like, oh, he has a natural leverage advantage, he's short. That's what it means. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, he has a really good pad level. And he's also extremely strong as, as a defensive lineman. He has a pretty solid rip move. He's able to two-gap himself by keeping his eyes up. He's disciplined in the running game. And he has two really, really good pass rush moves. He has a great swim move, great arm over move, whatever you want to call it, and a really good rip move. And he can execute both in the same rep if he needs to. So he always has that counter punch and that counter move ready. 
because a lot of what people talk about in pass rush is that first move. Well, if you only have one move, there's not a whole lot that you can do. And if you want like perfect teaching tape for how to switch up your game, even if you're like, granted, you still have to be an athletic freak and this player is, but you know, just look at someone like Von Miller. Von Miller has made a career of himself by having pretty much, you know, three or four moves, but the main two that he goes through is a, a long, a long arm speed rush. And then a, a fake stab where he just rips under, which by the way, that fake stab rip under is still one of the most disgusting pass rush moves in the NFL. And he's like 35. <laughs> so it, it, it shouldn't be allowed, but that's, that's either here or there. He, Savandre Sweat's a remarkably good player in both the past. He's probably their most balanced player because both Keandre Coburn and Moro Jomo have more specialized skill sets. But I'd say Tavandre set is, is kind of like the Goldilocks of them. Good in run defense, good in pass rush. Now we can talk about Keandre Coburn, who I would say is probably, probably the better pass rusher of them. But Keandre Coburn has 16 tackles, one and a half sacks, three TFLs, 80.1 PFF grade, 73.1 run defense, 70.1 tackling, and an 84 pass rush grade. And whenever his goal, whenever he's in, his main goal is to long arm you because he does have long arms. His entire plan is bull rush, and because he's a monstrously strong human being, it works quite well for him. Like he, you can tell that he he's the power rusher. And in fact, if I okay, I'm going to correct my previous statement. Sweat is the balanced guy. Coburn's the power guy, and Moro Ajomo is like, well, actually, they're all three good. So that. That comp doesn't make sense. Allow me to contradict myself in the middle of the episode. Hi, my name is Ace Edwards. I'm an idiot. But but Keandre Coburn, his first step is is just great. Whenever he's heading straight forward, that is. Whenever they have him slanting, it's it's not pretty. He's there are reps where he's a five tech, and if he's not heading straight ahead, it's it's not pretty to look at. He loses a lot of what makes him great whenever they do stunt, which they do on occasion. And that's his ability to get right in your face and punish you for trying to attack him because his goal is to catch you off balance. And if you, if he catches you slipping even a little bit, you're going to be in the quarterback's lap. Like he doesn't get a lot of sacks because he's an interior defensive lineman, but you know, he's very powerful. And in the running game, his biggest issue is he gives up his shoulders on zone plays. And once he does this, he like, Credit to him. He knows he's not going to contribute. So it's just like, oh, well, guess I'm over here now. That's a shame. <laughs> like, you know, oh, why isn't he fighting that? Because there's no winning. But then <laughs> finally is Moro Ajomo. He has 19 tackles, two and a half sacks, five TFLs, an 89.7 PFF grade, 90.3 run defense, 57.2 tackling, 82.4 pass rush. Notably, he's not the starter. I'll leave that there because he's without a doubt their best defensive lineman. I don't think it's particularly close. And he is, I think he started the first three games and he hasn't started the last three. Um, Fine, whatever. He's their best defensive lineman. And that's because of his absurd power and athleticism. And if you watch the Iowa state game, the every single time he was getting doubled and it was almost like Felix to where it just did not matter. He's not as good at Felix. He doesn't have like, he, he has Felix's athleticism. He doesn't necessarily have Felix's drive for the quarterback, if that makes sense. So he's very good at pressuring. He's not the greatest at actually finishing 
pause, but <laughs> um, all right. And, <laughs> and <You're> he's done. <laughs> all right. He's plenty athletic to catch up with players from the opposite side. So Moro Jomo is just a freak athlete who gets a lot of pressures because he's absurdly strong, and that's the that's the key with their interior defensive line is that they're extraordinarily strong. They're not the best line group that we've seen. That's Oklahoma State. But they're the most athletically gifted defensive line group that we've had. So, Connor, I've talked for what seems like 15 years. It's your turn to talk for 15 years. <laughs> All right. So we've got edge rushers. Uh, first up, we've got Ovi Agufo, uh, number 18. Uh, so this year he's got 36 tackles, one sack, five tackles for loss, and a forced fumble. Uh, 64.6 PFF grade, a 68.2 run defense grade, 75.5 in tackling, and a 64.7 in the pass rush department. Uh, he is fine. And that's it. Any, but he plays himself a bit light in the running game. Um, partly because he, he is a little bit light. He's kind of thin, but uh <laughs> He he's definitely better as a stand-up rusher than a hand and dirt uh defensive end. He's definitely more of a true edge. Um bites he does bite very hard inside on read options when he is the key. Um and then when he's making contact, he has some wasted motion in his arms, uh, where they kind of seem to swing downwards as opposed to punching forwards. Um, so again, not a bad player at all, but he He's okay, basically, is what it is. Um, and also, Edge, you've got Baron Sorrell, number 88. That's a weird number for an Edge rusher. Yeah, it's kind of gross. I don't like it. Don't yeah. get me wrong. I love obscure numbers for, like, defensive linemen. Like, I love me, like, a single-digit, like, nose tackle. Like, that makes me very happy. But 88 is a little strange. No, that's, <laughs> that's weird. That's weird. So I've got serious doubts about his uh, football ability now all of a sudden. <laughs> but uh, So Sorrell, he's got 22 tackles on the year, three sacks, four tackles for loss, and five QB hurries. A 69.5 in the PFF uh, overall grade, a 74.8 run defense grade, 52 tackle grade, and a 63.2 pass rush grade. He's got a very explosive first step. Um, however, when that first step doesn't immediately work, he's kind of comes off as a little confused and just kind of tries things with no end goal. And he's a great force player in the run game, uh, considering how well he holds his own ground. Um, but then again, back to his pass rush, he's got a few reps per game where he, he really just takes a snap off. Honestly, is the best way to put it. Uh, he, does, he has equal amount of reps though, where he gets upfield too quickly. Um, and, when that happens, he can be baited off sides fairly easily. Um, but with that being said, though, he is still a uh, a good pass rusher, despite occasionally having maybe motor issues. Uh, he is considerably better in the pass rush than Gufo is. Uh, so he probably should be uh, rated higher than he is. But that's it for the edge rushers. We move on to linebackers now. We have number 41, Jalen Ford. Uh, he's got 72 tackles, exclamation point, two sacks, seven and a half tackles for loss, one interception, and two forced fumbles. 
uh, got a 63.9 BFF grade, 67.6 in the run defense, 55.3 tackle grade, 57.4 pass rush, and a 60.1 in pass coverage. Um, in the run defense, he is pretty good at sifting over and around blocks. Uh, he is fairly disciplined at staying in his own lane as well, although sometimes he does get himself into the trash, gets it too far and too close to the offensive line, which gets him into trouble. Um, and he uh, has a really good vertical leap, and he's a uh, solid middle field defender. Uh, hook zones, he does a really good job with those specifically. Um, however, he's not in the middle uh, of the field. He is subpar in coverage, especially uh, in uh, man coverage. Uh, but that um, Jalen Ford, yeah, 72 tackles on the year. That is a lot, it feels like. Yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, Devarvion Overshone is the other guy, number zero. It feels like he has been at Texas for decades at this point. Yeah. Uh, I don't know why. He's just a guy that's always stuck out to me. I, I feel like I recognize him every time. It's like seeing an old friend on the broadcast. But yeah, <laughs> shame he goes to Texas. <laughs> yeah, it really is a shame, isn't it? But he uh, he's got 58 tackles on the year, two and a half sacks, six tackles for loss, three pass breakups. I uh, got a 70.3 PFF grade, 81. Point zero run defense grade, a 61 tackle grade, a 70.1 in the pass rush, and a 61.9 in pass coverage. Uh, he, as I previously subtly insinuated, he's really old. And he's the elder statesman of the defensive group. Um, but despite that, he is not their best player. Um, he's not bad. Uh, he's experienced. He's got so he knows what he's doing, and he is a very good athlete at linebacker. He's been around the block, uh, but it shows that he is not the best guy on this defense. Um, his big issue is that a lot of his game hasn't really come together. His tackling is okay. Uh, he kind of plays too fast at times, um, which again, it's a motor issue, but kind of in a weird way, and that he just refuses to slow down uh, for the anything. Wyatt Hubert issue. Yes. Yeah. Why Huber had that big issue where he would just run himself out of a play constantly because he just played with his hair on fire every single snap, which is great sometimes. And then other times why Huber ends up halfway across the field because some left tackle just continues to push him. And uh, the Marvin Overshown, though, uh, he's a very good QB spy contained player. Uh, and he has a very good duck and rip move to the outside. But yeah, he's very experienced. All-around solid player, um, but part of a uh, okay linebacking core uh, for Texas. Uh, they're they're a solid group. Um, Marvion Overshone, an experienced defender in the Big Twelve, is always going to be dangerous in some fashion because they they pick up a few things on their journeys across the <laughs> across Middle America. But yeah, he, he he's a very solid linebacker. Yeah. So next up are their cornerbacks, number six, Ryan Watts, number five, Deshaun Jameson, and number 23, Jade Barron. Uh, Jade Barron's their slot guy. But starting off with the outside is number six, Ryan Watts. He's an Ohio State transfer. He has 31 tackles on the year, one TFL, one pick, and three pass breakups. A 69.7 PFF grade, 77.2 run defense, 70.3 tackling, 67.7 coverage. Uh, his biggest issue is that he just does not defend in breakers. He just doesn't do it. He's very bad at it. 
he just gives up that outside leverage way too quickly, even whenever he's playing in like a press alignment where he's you know, he's head up on the receiver. Like he'll like he'll get hands on and then just like, all right, well, I guess he can have the inside. I did my job. He's not going up the sideline, so fine, I guess. But in terms of his press coverage, he just kind of soft shoes, which means he's not looking for that that uh that insane jam where he's looking to knock you off your route disrupt the timing he's just making you really uncomfortable and he's going to make you try to make a move and that's going to be the way he disrupts your timing not with a powerful jam which it's a safer way to play press coverage but it's also a way that has you know doesn't do as much but he's his the thing he's weirdly good at is he's weirdly good at blitzing like he's an insane blitzer when it comes to like cat, which is corner cornerback blitzes. Like and because of that, he's like probably one of the best run supporting corners in the Big Twelve. In fact, I'd probably kind of put him and Julius Brents on the same tier, but in different ways. Julius Brents is good because he's willing to put his nose in it and play the force. Ryan Watts is really good at it because he's quick and knows the precise angle he needs to take on a blitz like that. But yeah, uh, in terms of coverage, he just, the inbreakers are really what kills him. And just, it's, it's tough as an outside corner because, you know, you don't, you want to make sure that you don't get burnt up the sideline. It's kind of your number one priority, but he gives up the inbreakers way too much. Then you have Deshaun Jameson, who has 20 tackles, two TFLs, two picks, seven pass breakups, a 76 PFF grade, 70.8 run defense, 59.6 tackling, 77.7 coverage grade. And his biggest thing is he's a bit slow whenever he's flipping his hips to cover deep routes. So if you, I think that if more teams ran more double moves against him, he'd probably bite against it because he's he's just that kind of player to where like, he. Whenever he flips his hips, he's he's not the quickest to turn around. And whenever he's searching for the ball, he can kind of lose his receiver and where they are, meaning he doesn't keep his hand on. You know, he's not feeling where the receiver is going to go whenever he sees the ball. He's he's definitely a guy who's going to try and ball hawk. But that being said, he's you know, this is like the third week in a row where the cornerback two is the best corner on the team. Because Josh Newton was the best corner for TCU. Um, Jabbar Muhammad was bad <laughs> for Oklahoma State. So by default, whoever their cornerback to was was better. And now Deshaun Jameson is is better than Ryan Watts, which is, you know, but neither of them are bad. But, you know, Deshaun Jameson has the upper hand. And finally, their slot defender, Jade Burden. He's the slot guy, like I said. He has 48 tackles. Five and a half TFLs, two picks, and one forced fumble. These are like Julian Love's whenever he was at Notre Dame numbers. Uh, (laughs) A 71.5 PFF grade, 72.9 run defense, 71.3 tackling, 68 coverage. He's not easy to block. He's not a person who's very easy to block by corner standards because, you know, he's just going to play physical. He's going to play fast. He's going to try and bust past the block. He'll meet the block head on and then beat you to it. And... His biggest thing is his aggression. He he plays with a really, really hyper-aggressive play style for a slot defender in that if he sees an outbreaker, he's immediately going to go for it. In, in times, it kind of seems like he's abandoning a coverage responsibility for it. I don't... like 
full disclosure, I don't necessarily know precisely what their coverage philosophies are because I'm not on staff and every single staff has different philosophies. But, you know, he's he's very, very aggressive from the slot position. And if you throw an outbreaker, you need to be careful because he'll, he'll be right there. You can't throw an inaccurate outbreaker against him. But when he's outside, which is admittedly happens a few times, wait, like one time I think is way too many. He takes the slot play style and applies it to the outside. And I, I know that slot corner and corner are technically the same position on a depth chart. It's not the same position. It, it's not at all. Like it, it, he slot corners have to play a lot more laterally. They have to be more twitchy. The outside corners have to be faster and longer and more vertically oriented. Uh, whenever he's outside, he doesn't transfer that. He plays more laterally than vertically. But, you know, considering he's mostly the guy in the slot, that's a forgivable mistake to make. Yep. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I have nothing to add. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> So moving on to safeties, uh, you've got two guys. The first of which is number 28, Jaron Thompson. Uh, he's got 51 tackles and six passes broken up this year. 75.6 on PFF and 83.3 run defense grade, 80.8 tackling grade and a 71.4 coverage grade. He has absolutely excellent uh, reaction time when diagnosing plays um, and his speed and agility go right with his eyes as well it is really strange that when you pair those two things together that he does not have an interception uh you would think that with excellent speed and agility and great reaction time he would have a pick he somehow does not and we're not starting this week knock on wood yeah and then he's at his best when he's put in a read and react situations uh he's not bad when forced to play uh particularly heady and thoughtful uh, defense, but he just really does a lot better when working purely on instinct because he he's just really good at that and his instincts are really sound. Um, and then other than Jaron Thompson, you have Anthony Cook, number 11, uh, 44 tackles, two and a half tackles for loss, two pass breakups, and one forced fumble. Uh, 70.9 PFF grade, 64.6 run defense grade, 59 tackle grade, and a 72.5 coverage grade. Uh, when he is in the box, he's a bit of kind of the odd duckling out. Uh, he 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 do be there. Yeah, <laughs> uh, he he wants to he wants to play in the neutral area uh, between three different roles, and he doesn't really fulfill any of them properly. At the uh, three roles in run defense. Yeah, so he 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 just doesn't really fill that particularly well. Um. And when he's asked to tackle in open space, uh, he a lot of his game relies on big hits because he's wanting to come down downhill and hurt you. However, this again leads to uh, like a few other defenders. It leads to him overrunning the play sometimes, uh, just kind of playing with his hair on fire uh, when he's coming in to make a hit, uh, and he he might just run right past you. <laughs> so, yeah, but. He's a solid safety. Both these safeties are pretty good. Uh, Jaron Thompson especially is very good. Uh, but Cook isn't bad, but just does some things that probably need to be refined. 
Yeah. So in summation, uh, if I had to rank, if I had to rank the positions, Connor, feel free to give your own rankings. It'd be uh, best is interior defensive line. Second best is linebackers. Very, very close would be edge. Uh, fourth would be safeties. And then in last for the defense would probably be corners. At first, I thought you were ranking the entire team. And no, no, no. I was like, why are running backs not? Why are running backs not first? No, no, no. It's just where, where running back? Where running no. back? Where Bijan? No, yeah, where, where Bijan, Roshan, Keelan Robinson? Like, where, where is that? But anywho. No, yeah. I think the interior defensive line here is definitely the best unit on uh, this team. I, I don't really think there's any doubt about that. I'm not going to go through and rank the rest of them, but there is no doubt in my mind that the interior defensive line uh, is the best. You know, they are definitely the deepest, if nothing else, uh, on the defensive side. Uh, they're very, very impressive. Hayden Gillum, uh, Cooper Beebe, and Hadley Panzer are going to have their work cut out for them uh, this week. I imagine there will be a lot of double teams, uh, depending on who is there in the middle, uh, trying to push guys maybe over to Beebe. But now there's a lot of, of guys that can really wreck the middle of the offensive line uh, that'll line up there. So it's going to be important to uh, establish uh, establish yourself early against them. Yeah. Also, their entire defense kind of has a tackling problem to where it's not just one particular player that's not great at it. It's just kind of collectively where you have a bunch of individual pieces that in theory are okay. But for some reason, whenever they come together, they can't quite put it together. But that's always Texas. And I'm not just saying that because it's a narrative. I'm saying it because it's true. (laughs) (laughs) But that's the scouting report. Now we can go into the stories to watch going into the game. Uh, First and foremost, (laughs) this is the second week in a row we've had this question. It's gotten more difficult every week. Uh, Who starts a quarterback for (laughs) K-State? That is a great question that I have been grappling with the last few days. Um, the answer is still a resounding I don't know, and media availability didn't really clear it up at all. Um, it, I'm going to lean Adrian this week, but I, I'm, I'm still not really, I'm not, I don't have any conviction behind that at all. Uh, I'm just saying it just to say something, really. But I, I I can absolutely see a scenario where Will Howard is the starter this week and the offense really does well. Um, I I can definitely see though where Adrian could be really useful for this offense uh, in establishing a uh, um, read option attack and uh, having some counter punches to open up the defense a little bit more, open up the offense, I should say, a little bit more. Uh, but I. I lean Adrian, but I I have no conviction behind that. I don't have insider information. If I did, I would not tell you. But I don't have insider information. Uh, I that that's just that's just guessing. Because I mean, last week everybody on the planet was convinced that Adrian was starting up until about ten minutes before kickoff. So yeah, I mean we we are probably we may not know until kickoff and uh, until after kickoff. So yeah. But what do you think, Ace? I, I'm like you in that I, I don't really know. I'm leaning towards Adrian because that would be my preferred person to start this game in particular. 
And the reason why is because this Texas defense does not operate well whenever its initial structure breaks down. And conveniently enough for most defenses, the offense, the defensive structure breaks down the same time the offensive structure does. And I think as a player, that is a big fly that is on my monitor. That <laughs> I don't want to hit it because I don't make noise, but I'm just staring at it now. But um, outside of structure, Adrian Martinez is the better quarterback. However, it would be awesome to let Will Howard have at the Texas revenge game with a, a competent offensive coordinator. Someone in particular is now face palming that I said that. However, it is the truth. But <laughs> um, I'd prefer it be Adrian, and I think it will be Adrian. But I can make myself okay, and I think we have a good chance of winning with both of them. I just think it is a marginally better chance with Adrian. Yeah, yeah, I, I, I kind of agree with that. I, I, I do think that we have a good shot with either. Um, Adrian does bring a different dimension to the game, although of course the passing game will probably suffer a bit uh, with Adrian in instead of Will. Um, but I don't know. There, there's not much that I feel like we can say about this issue that's really constructive, at least right now as things stand. Um, but I'll go ahead and um, move on uh, to the next question. Uh, so the environment this past week uh, for the Oklahoma state game was absolutely excellent. It was one of the louder games that we've had in quite some time, especially earlier in the game. Even then the crowd still was pretty good down the stretch for it being such a blowout. But I mean, when you have a 35 zero game, a half people are going to not be as in to like distracting the Oklahoma state offense. Cause it hardly yeah. matters at that point, yeah. but you know, still getting 51,133 in uh, another sellout for a sold out season. Uh, this point, uh, but that's a lot of words to basically get to this question. Uh, does the environment against Texas match the previous week? Yes. In fact, I think in a lot of ways it exceeds it because yes, if you want to look strictly at rankings, the Oklahoma state game was the bigger game. However, I truly believe that everyone in Manhattan, Kansas hates Texas more than they dislike Oklahoma state. And I think that this has an the opportunity to get just absolutely nasty as an environment. Like, I, I know that there are a lot of people that were saying that, and obviously this was before my time, so I cannot comment, that the Oklahoma State game this last week was better and was the best environment since the Auburn game. So for me, the equivalency was 2019 Oklahoma, because that is the best environment I've been a part of. But... I think it has the potential to get to, if not exceed, both this year Oklahoma State and 2019 Oklahoma, just because of how much we hate this school. Yeah, I, I kind of agree with that. Um, I think the team is going to be more angry for this game, honestly, too. I think a lot of times this would be the potential for kind of a down game, uh, kind of a letdown game. But I do think that the team is probably still remembering and thinking about what happened last year down Austin. And I, I think they probably think that they, they feel they should have won last year and changes were made because of that game, because we probably should have won. Um, so 
I, I think if nothing else, a team is going to be up for the for this game. I think people are going to be interested to come and watch a Texas game because uh, even though I think at this point they're pretty much confirmed to stay through 25, there was there was the thought uh, up until fairly recently that this could be the last time Texas plays in Manhattan. So uh, I, I I think still a lot of people will be under that impression. Um, and I, I think that students are going to be really excited for this game as well, coming off of a huge win over a top 10 team. Uh, I think that the fan base is going to be really energized as well as we climb the rankings. Um, I'm, I'm, I'm curious what the announced attendance wound up being. I'd imagine probably another roughly 51,000 ish will yeah. be a, more K-State fans, but fewer opposing fans, because there was a decent contingent of Oklahoma State fans in town, because Stillwater's yeah, not too far. But, um, yeah, I think, I think the environment can be really good. I will say I was not at Auburn 2014. I had an actual football game to be in, so I was, like, standing <laughs> on the sideline asking, like, injured people for score updates, like, mid-game. Because <laughs> I was, like, a lowly freshman. Like, so... It was actually the last game I ever played, and mm. it was a uh, um, apparently an incredible environment. I've never been able to really go back and watch the replay. All I know is just like we probably should have won the game, and I, I've like read like box scores and stuff, and I've seen a few highlights and stuff just to like get a feel for the crowd noise. But I mean, that would have been a huge marquee win because that was Auburn coming off their national title uh, in 2014. So. Uh, that would have been a massive, massive win, but missed field goals and a drop touchdown the end zone will do it. But this environment up, up against Texas, this is a huge, huge game. I think people really understand that. So I think the environment can get really close to last week. Next question. Can the defense maintain its insane play from the last few weeks? And by that, I don't mean shutout. I mean, average between the TCU, which was a good defensive performance it just, you know, they got wore out because the offense had like seven plays between some drives. But, you know, can they can they keep up their momentum? Um, I'm going to say tentatively, yes, that may look a little bit different um, than it did the past few weeks just because of how prolific an offense Texas has with so many weapons. But I do think this will, this game will be a very good barometer for the defense where if this is the sort of game where we do hold them to well below their season averages and have a really excellent game, then I fully expect us to absolutely demolish everybody left on the schedule if that's what happens in this game because there's no reason. If we smother Texas, there's no reason we shouldn't be able to do the same to Baylor, West Virginia, KU. Um, but maybe KU's a bit different story because their offense is really good. But yeah. Um, Texas, um, I'm hopeful the defense can do it. I think that it's an intriguing matchup because I think our secondary is really good. Um, uh, I think that our, um, pass rush is really good too. Our run defense has been really good. The question is going to be linebackers and what they can do against B. John Robinson, I think. Yeah. Uh, not to show my hand, but I really think that the key group will be the defensive linemen. I think that winning the point of attack will be the key more so than it normally is because like, although Texas start Sark has a weird problem to where 
the running game can be rolling for the majority of the game. But if it doesn't work for, you know, two plays in a like two or three plays in a row, or it doesn't work for a drive, doesn't work for another drive, he kind of shies away from it, which is so strange to think because of the talent that they have. But I think that if they end up passing more than they end up running, I think we've won the game. If it's even, I would say, if just if you showed me from the future, like run pass splits from this game, if it was even, I'd say our chances were about 50-50. If they threw the ball more than they ran it, I'd say we won comfortably. If they ran more than they threw, I, I would say we probably ended up losing. But I think the defense maintains its play because I think that the secondary is up to the challenge. And I don't think that this defense is going to let a lot of one-on-ones happen with Xavier Worthy. Because that's kind of how we contain Quentin Johnston until, you know, the incident. The <laughs> I say the incident like it was this, this tragedy. Julius Burns pulled a handy. But <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I think they can maintain it. Yeah, fair play. Um. So next question, uh, who wins the turnover battle in this game? Uh, K-State. And I say that comfortably because no matter which quarterback we have, they are able to make smart risks. And Adrian has a tendency to, if there is not a smart risk available, he can just take off. And Will has been playing well enough that his margin for error when it comes to accuracy and decision-making is a bit wider. But I think that K-State ends up winning this turnover battle because Quinn Ewers has that aggressive gunslinging mentality. Yeah, I'm I'm with case I I'm I think in K-State wins this turnover battle too, for pretty similar reasons. Cause uh Adrian Martinez has still not thrown interception this year. Will's only thrown one, and it was in fairly understandable circumstances. So I don't really hold it against him. I think that K-State, if nothing else, has shown this year offensively that they intend to take care of the ball. I mean, we rarely, rarely ever turn over the ball this year. I mean, we fumbled like three times, maybe, and lost the ball, like threw a fumble three times, thrown two picks. So I I feel that we win the turnover battle. I think that Ewers throws a pick and we get a strip sack at some point, maybe. Um, But uh, we shall see with that, but I I, I feel comfortable picking K State here just because they've been so consistent in this regard and uh, winning the turnover battle. Yeah. Can K State's defensive line make Ewers uncomfortable? Um, I will tentatively say yes uh, to this question, um, mainly because we still haven't seen an offensive line find a way to fully contain Felix without holding basically so i i think that we can find a way to make viewers uncomfortable we'll bring pressure um probably quite a bit and uh, uh find a way um i, I I'm, I'm interested to see how eli huggins does this week um i think he'll be a key factor um and then also the second edge or the second defensive end and then khalid duke are going to be really big factors. I've now named everybody that will be brushing when yours. <laughs> um, hey, you didn't name Des in case Des gets snaps. Desmond Purnell will be a key factor in the pass rush. <laughs> um, but 
Yeah, I, th- I think that we stand a good shot because until somebody proves that they can really fully neutralize Felix to the point where he's not even getting pressure, I will simply believe that he will get pressure. Um, and then I we have other weapons as well that can get to him. Yeah. Yeah, the Did next you question. Answer? Did oh, you wait. Well, the answer is yes. The answer is yes. Uh, <laughs> I, I don't have anything else to say if the answer is yes. Fair enough. <laughs> okay. So Brents and Echo versus Xavier Worthy. Who wins more reps? Trick question. We never leave them in one on one coverage. <laughs> but it, okay, the, not never. But I think in the few opportunities that they get one on ones, I. I hate to say it, but in true one-on-one situations, I think Worthy's a nasty enough route runner to where Worthy will probably get the better of either of the two of them more than like they win their true one-on-ones. But I think Kleinerman is well aware that although he has the best corner duo in the Big 12, like he knows that there's still human corners on planet Earth and they're occasionally going to get beat in one-on-ones. So I think he's... I think there's pretty much going to be a bracket on Xavier Worthy everywhere he goes. Yeah, nothing much to add to that. Xavier Worthy will probably not be walking alone at all in this game. Somebody's going to be following him in some fashion. I don't know, probably, probably Brent's, honestly. Maybe Echo, because he's a little faster. Um, we'll see. Uh, maybe we'll just throw Jacob Parrish out there as a sacrificial lamb. I don't know. But I, prefer we did. I really prefer we didn't do that. Not yeah, because else I think he... Parrish is bad, but because uh, that's that's tough. That is such a tough yeah. ask. If nothing else, he's very fast. So, but who wins more wet more reps? Yeah, I I think one on one situation of worthy is going to be about anybody. Just because as a corner, it's really tough to win reps against a guy who can beat you over the top and run any route he wants against you at any point in time. So, yeah. uh, it's a uh, yeah, that is a big ask, but. Um, yeah, I think you have the last one. Yep. Uh, finally, how does K-State plan to play against the running game blocked by Bijan Robinson and Roshan Johnson? Carefully. <laughs> I was about to say something along that line. Uh, <laughs> it was, uh, I was specifically going to say is I hope that they slow play it. Um, because I think that's something that's really that really bit them against Texas Tech for a while was they were just being way too aggressive in that regard. We might see more Jalen Pickle on obvious running downs uh, because of that, just because he is kind of the run-stopping defensive end. Uh, yes, I'm stereotyping because he's big, um, <laughs> but he, uh, I, I think we see that a lot. Nick Allen has, if nothing else, proven himself to be a very reliable tackler. Uh, Austin Moore has been excellent this year we have guys that can tackle Bijan, or at the very minimum slow him down and wait for reinforcements to arrive um so there is a path to victory with Bijan. will we find it maybe the victory with him is honestly under 100 yards and maybe just one touchdown but and don't let him like beat you in the passing game because we just we don't need to open that can of worms i mean like there's already enough to deal with in the passing game yeah. but uh yeah, I'll I'll say uh, slow play and just get hands on him uh, and hold on for dear life and wait for somebody else to get to him too to help you bring him down. Yep. So now we can get into projected offensive and defensive MVPs. 
for me, offensively, it's it's been the guy who's given Texas headaches ever since he's got here, and that's Deuce Vaughn. Fair point. I, I don't I don't have a I don't have a good read. Their linebackers cannot cover Deuce Vaughn. Their safeties will overrun Deuce Vaughn. And frankly, I their defensive line is very, very good, but there's only so much that they can do, especially with how like the, the running style Deuce has. Yeah. I'm going with whoever the quarterback is, whether that be Will or Adrian. I know that's cheating because that's two people. But <laughs> we do not know. So I, I I'm just rolling with whoever the QB is because I do think that if it's Will. Uh, he could be primed for another really good performance uh, through the air. And Adrian, I think, could really do a great job if, assuming that we're able to run a lot of read option and QB power to the outside and avoid the interior too much. I think that Adrian Martinez could have a great game on the ground uh, in this game and get some nice passing plays in as well. So I'll, I'll say whoever the quarterback is, regardless of whether it's Adrian or Will. And you can go first for defensive MVP. Now, I'm also going to cheat here because I said initially Julius Brents. I have changed my mind in the episode, so I'm making an executive decision. I'm going to say Austin Moore okay. now uh, b- just because I realized at one point that I said, like, I naturally came to the conclusion that linebackers were going to be super important in stopping the run because they are. And I was like, oh, maybe I should pick a linebacker for my MVP instead. So Austin Moore's my my guy here. He's been absolutely phenomenal. Uh, he finally getting the respect that he deserves and he he has been very clutch on uh late down uh and short yardage to go run plays uh and we're gonna need that this week we're gonna really need austin moore to step up and find a way to at least slow Bichon down and i austin moore's been up to the challenge with everybody else so far this year Bichon is the biggest challenge that he will ever face probably so I, I I salute you, Austin Moore, but we we need you bad, buddy. So I'm roll with Austin Moore. Yeah, I'm gonna go Eli Huggins because their interior offensive line is not that great, and Eli Huggins is one of the better nose tackles when it comes to fitting the run, and that's something that their center and especially their right guard have a lot of of trouble with. So I think that. Eli Huggins takes a lot of advantage of the bad trade-offs they have because I think that Sione Asi is worse than Eli Huggins. Sione Asi is very good. He's Oklahoma State's nose tackle. And Asi was taking advantage of it at times. And I think Eli Huggins is more is better equipped to do that. So I think that Eli Huggins has the potential to, you know, he's a nose tackle. You don't think of them as having big games. I think he he could have a louder game by nose tackle standards. I could see a world where he ends up with, you know, two and a half TFLs this game. <clears throat> and then of course, finally score projections. So I am fo- cards on the table. I am fully unconvinced by this Texas team. And I, I'm not sure if it's shown throughout the scouting report, whenever we're both reading it, but I, I'm not convinced by them. Yeah, yes, they have all the talent in the world, and they always have been. And honestly, it seems like they could put it together at any second, but I don't think they will because they haven't done it yet. And the closest comp game that I could see is the Iowa State game, which was a 24-21 loss with the assistance of some, some ref ball thrown in. 
I think we're a better defense than Iowa State. I think we're better equipped to specifically handle what Texas wants to do. And I certainly think that we're more than capable of scoring more than 24 points because Iowa State scored 24 points with perennial stray catcher Hunter Deckers at quarterback and a much worse running back room and a receiving room that consists of Xavier Hutchinson and like no one else. Oh, Noel's not bad, but I this is going to, I truly believe this will be a big win for the cats. I'm going to go 35, 17. I'm rolling with 38, 28, uh, K state in this one. I think the offense has another successful day. Um, I do think that Texas's offense is going to, they'll, they'll, they'll get theirs. They'll get a few plays. Um, I think K state controls most of this game, but Texas does make it closer late. Um, kind of similar to Texas tech game. But I'll say, yeah, 30 to 28 cats um, in a game that K-State never really is truly threatened in because um, somebody's going to have to thoroughly beat this defense uh, healthily uh, for me to believe that it can like really be done consistently. And hopefully Daniel Green is back uh, this weekend. I'm not holding my breath. Um, but he would be a huge, huge help, uh, if he was, uh, just as another athlete in the middle, I think he'd really match up well with Bijan Robinson. Yeah. But yeah, that it's a big game, really important game, because if, if we win this game, I would almost, you know, obviously I'm not on the team, so I can say this. I would pretty much punch our ticket to Arlington if we won this game, because it, it's right now, it kind of seems like a, a three team race. Because it's TCU at the top. I, you know, TCU is still a good team. There's K State in number two. And then the fight for third place and fight for second place is between Texas and Oklahoma State. Oklahoma State holding the tiebreaker and K State holding the tiebreaker over Oklahoma State. If we beat Texas, we hold the tiebreaker over both of the schools that are challenging for number two. So provided we do not vomit all over ourselves in the last three games of the year, it our chances are astronomically high. That's what this game means. And it means a lot to the players as well, because you, you alluded to it earlier. Oh, yes, they remember. They remember last year, and I guarantee you they have not let it go. They're, they're hungry. They want this victory more than they want, I think, maybe just about any other victory on the schedule except maybe KU. But do you have any final thoughts for me? We let it all go. Uh, yeah, I'm hoping for a incredible environment uh, this weekend. It is allegedly going to be maybe rainy uh, Saturday, at least in the afternoon. I don't know if that's going to get to the evening. Do not be a coward. Show up. <laughs> Uh, rain or not uh well right now the forecast has been updated uh doesn't look like there's as big of a chance of rain as there was so um in fact the apple weather app so if you want to get mad at someone get mad at tim cook i guess uh (laughs) apple weather app is not noting a chance of precipitation saturday anymore just friday so fingers crossed knock on wood Really hoping it doesn't rain because I want a picture perfect night game, uh, Bill Snyder Family Stadium against a relevant opponent. Uh, 
this this is what we've been waiting for for a long time i feel like is a big prime time night game in november against a ranked opponent at home and so i am very excited for this game this is a huge huge game um last week we accomplished the first part of our mission for this three team spread tc oklahoma state texas which was just get one of them if you get two of them a la texas then all of the sudden you are very close to punching your tickets Arlington. Baylor is right there and they're probably better than the record suggests to be fair to them. Yeah. But you beat Texas, all you got to do is take care of business down the stretch. And so don't don't look too far ahead yet. Uh but Texas is a huge game with postseason implications. So if you have the opportunity to be there or be square, I guess. <laughs> but I I am really looking forward to this game. I am as well. We hope to see you all there, but for now, thank you for listening to this episode of the Aggieville Alley Cats podcast. If you want to follow or contact the show, we are at Aggieville A-Cats on Twitter. That's capital A, capital A, and capital C in cats. If you want to email the show, we are AggievilleAlleyCats at gmail.com. If you want to follow us on a more personal note, I am at ACEdwards00. I am at Connor Bouncesor, capital C, capital B. And if you want to support the show financially, please be sure to check out the official Aggieville Alley Cats merch store with a design that, you know, since basketball season starting, you may want to grab it. It's the staff approved Doom Tang Clan shirt alongside designs like Sand- Play Sandstorm Cowards and Neon Alley Cats. But most importantly, thank you all for listening to this episode of the Aggieville Alley Cats podcast. Where come rain, shine, or anything in between, we're here to deliver to you the Kansas State sporting news that you so love. Stay safe, Alley Cats.